the hardest thing is to say no, right? The hardest thing is to realize that, hey, this job doesn't make me happy. This business doesn't make me happy. And life is too short. You can quit. It's a good thing to quit sometimes. It's the hardest thing to do. A lot of face lost and somehow it's a, an embarrassment. Some of the businesses I've closed in my, my career have been the hardest decisions I've ever made, but also the best decisions I've ever made. You just got to let it go and there's something better out there for you. And I think that's an important message to carry through. Hello and welcome to episode six of How Not to Run a Business. It's me, your host, Jeremy Jacobs. And if this is your first time listening in, welcome. And if it's not, thank you for coming back. So we launched a podcast to say we, well, technically we, I launched the podcast. I sounded very, I launched the podcast. I launched the podcast a few weeks ago and had some really amazing feedback so far. We got into the top three of um, a chart in the UK. I can't remember which one. How to chart, which was very exciting. So thanks everyone that's been listening, downloading, rating, reviewing, all that sort of fun stuff. I've also had some tips from people because, you know, this is a, this is a new thing for me recording a podcast. And as we know, if you've been listening already... I've made a few mistakes. My my most amusing one was um, was that on episode four when I re- recorded the episode with my friend Ruth, I had a really really bad cold, um, or I was getting over one, so my breathing was really bad. And um, apparently, you can hear me breathing while she's talking, so I do sound like some dodgy uh, person phoning people up, breathing heavily down the phone. And uh, yeah, so we've we've learned a lesson there. We won't be. We'll make sure that um, if I do have a cold, we'll edit that out. There we go. You live and learn, eh? Anyway, I digress. I digress. So episode six is an interview with uh, a gentleman that I met on Clubhouse last year. Um, was it last year? Yeah, it was last year, wasn't it? Or maybe it was the year before. <gasps> I don't even know. I can't remember. Um, I met Simon Squibb on Clubhouse and we've stayed in touch ever since. If you don't know who Simon is and you haven't checked out his social media, he has coming up to about four, 410,000 followers on uh, TikTok and uh, about 10,000 followers on LinkedIn. And he's doing a lot of really amazing work supporting entrepreneurs, business owners in their startup journey giving them the support he didn't have when he started out. And he's got a really amazing story. So he was homeless at 15 and he's gone on to build a very successful business. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But what everyone would deem a successful business, it was very successful. He sold it for multi-million or it turned him into a multi-millionaire. He sold that business. He worked very hard for 15 years to build that business. And so now he's air quotes, what most people would say, made it. And he's an incredibly generous, incredibly friendly, incredibly decent human being. And I had the pleasure of sitting down with him for uh, an hour and having a chat and talking about his journey. But also, I was really interested with this conversation because he, to me, is what I... When I talk about, you know being successful that kind of general idea of being successful of you know being a multimillionaire, having a big house in the countryside driving a nice car which he does all of those um 
you know, gets an opportunity to, to speak to someone like that to find out what their experience of their success and how they failed in their past and their views on that or his views on that rather was absolutely fascinating. And it's a really, really interesting conversation. And I learned a lot and there was some really surprising things in there that I wasn't expecting him to say. So, um, without further ado because this episode is about an hour long so if you don't have an hour then chop it up into you know a few bits and pieces come back there's no rush and um yeah i'm really excited to share this episode with you and yeah simon was incredibly generous with his time um details of his uh social media uh, stuff is at the end of the uh, episode if you want to get in touch with him um but yeah so please sit back relax and enjoy So welcome, Simon. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very excited to uh, be having a conversation with you. So if people don't know you, I'd love you to tell my listeners who Simon Squibb is, a bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, share with me. I guess the one way to describe me is a Gary V wannabe. Oh. Um, another way to describe me is, is someone that's uh, built 19 companies, 13 with, with no money. Um, and I have invested in 75 startups, recently just invested in a new company. And so I, I guess um, that's my business background. I'm focused today on something called the Purposeful Project, which is a project designed to help 10 million people start and grow a business. Anybody listening that can't find a job, we want to give them the tools to create one for themselves. Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, yeah, and that's, you know, we connected on Clubhouse, which we both don't really use anymore um and uh and i was i've always been i follow i follow you religiously on social media you've had great success we'll talk more about this word success that keeps on being banded around but from my perspective you've had great success on tiktok particularly you're up to my last check four four hundred nine thousand followers um how 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 did how did that come about is is that something that you always aimed to to get to on tiktok and social media or is it something that you kind of thought play around with because i hear stories of people talk about tiktok and they go oh i had a little play around with it and and it was really successful what was your reasoning for starting that a combination of things really i always have throughout my whole life really when everyone said oh don't bother with that wanted to look at it a little bit more mm. and so um i think tiktok maybe two years ago i was quite interested in what it was all about and people said to me oh, don't bother it's just for kids and so i was kind of interested because i've got a kid <laughs> so yeah. at least i should understand where he might end up spending his time so uh, then i realized that actually it was a lot of the people i i could help mm. a lot of young people not quite sure what their purpose in life is what they want to do when they grow up, which, by the way, I think is the wrong framing, should be what problem you want to solve when you grow up, not what you want to do when you grow up. But, but I really liked the energy of TikTok, and I felt like there was something missing from business sometimes. The fun word "fun" isn't in business enough, so I felt what if I mixed the TikTok fun with a business serious, and and that's kind of where I began my TikTok journey. And really, at the beginning, I, I was just having fun with it and trying to share what I know as a way of connecting to people when lockdown began, mm. and I felt a bit lonely. So part of it was quite a selfish endeavour. The other thing was I, I was 
considered myself and do consider myself a marketing person. And so I reckon anybody today that doesn't understand Web3, blockchain, TikTok, and how they might interact with each other, um, it's not a marketing person anymore. Um, you've mm. got to keep yourself up to date and current with what's next. And I feel like things like TikTok two years ago was definitely next. And Web3 is going to be big next in marketing. So if I want mm. to keep myself relevant, I have to go and learn these things and, and be a part of them, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's, you know, it's that agility and that what, you know, that's one of the reasons in my uh, research around failure, one of the biggest reasons is is companies or business owners or entrepreneurs not being agile and not keeping up to date with the market. So I completely agree. But let's just take a, a step back because I'd love to just explore your your entrepreneurial journey. Um, I know a, uh, about it um, and particularly f- through what you've shared on social media and you've got such an amazing story. So you were kicked out of home at 15. That's that right. correct? Yep. So- and... Yeah, T- yeah. Well, tell, tell me more. I, I guess it's one of, one of those stories that um, I still find it quite hard to tell the story oh, really? weirdly. And I have told it quite a few times. Mm. So for anybody listening, I'm sorry to tell it again. But it, it is it is a big part of who I am today. And I think um, I, I unfortunately at 15 years old had quite a dramatic set of things happen. Um, my father suddenly died of a heart attack. He was 56 years old. Wow. Um, I, I was 15. And then three weeks later, I had a big argument with my mother. And she said, get out of my house. And so I did. And I never went back. Wow. And um, I, I basically was homeless for a little bit. And then something magical happened. My brain changed. A uh, muscle in my brain, which I call the entrepreneurial muscle, woke up. Mm. And suddenly this almost like survival instinct, the original instinct of all humans really, kicked in. And I um, started a business. And mainly because I had no choice. I I couldn't, in England, you can't get a job without a national insurance card. And I didn't have that yet. I was 15. That hadn't come through the post. So I uh, didn't have a national insurance number, so I couldn't get a job. And therefore, I had no choice but to become an entrepreneur. I was forced into it. Best thing that ever happened to me. Wow. What was the business? The first business I did was a gardening company. Yeah. And uh, it is a fascinating story. I've done a TEDx talk on it, mm-hmm. which um, people could Google and, and watch. It, it, it was an amazing process and um, something that taught me all the things I need to know about business in six months by yeah. doing it, by yeah. just, just doing it. Mm-hmm. But in that journey, I felt lonely. I, I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, I didn't, for example, have any money, of course, so... If I wanted to get help, I couldn't afford to get a consultant in or a mentor. I didn't even know what a mentor was, to be honest, or even have a mentor network. So it was quite painful and quite yeah, lonely. And so partly why I'm doing what I'm doing today, helping people for free, is because I'm going back to that 15-year-old me and helping me. Mm. And, can, and there's still a big gap. Education's let a lot of people down. It doesn't really work in the real world. They don't teach you skills like how to manage cash flow or how to build a brand or how to raise money or how to hire people or how to motivate people, or how to find purpose. None of that's taught in school. So really, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today, to go back and help that 15-year-old me that didn't have any of that help. Amazing. Yeah, and thank you for sharing, you know, your your story. Um, um, you know, I'm sorry to hear about your dad and what you went through. And it's amazing. That is one of the reasons why I find you so inspirational and what you do is this this generosity and this 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 want to help people and it's evident in everything that you do um 
and and that's why I, I really um, was excited for you to come and have a conversation with me. I do remember, actually, just randomly going around um, at the age of, I think, 13, 14 when I was a kid because... Um, I didn't. I didn't feel I was getting enough pocket money and knocking on people's doors to ask them if I could wash their car for money. I think that I don't know. Do you feel like entrepreneurial? Be, having being an entrepreneur is it innate? Is it a skill that can be taught? What are your views on it? No one's born anything. No one's got a uh, necessarily a, a job day one. No one's born a doctor. No one's yeah. born a lawyer. And I think you know, there's lots of different types of lawyers. There's lots of different types of doctors and maybe you have empathy skills. You could be a GP. Maybe you've got a steady hand. You could be a surgeon. So I think there is the same applies, in my opinion, to entrepreneurship. I think it has been categorized as like kind of, I guess, the Steve Jobs front facing types. But that's because they're the ones you see. There's a lot of inspirational and talented entrepreneurs that are, you know, accountants. Mm. that are um, structural people. They're not necessarily what you'd perhaps describe as a typical entrepreneur. So I think everybody's an entrepreneur. Yeah. It's just a question of what type of entrepreneur are you mm. and then bringing in the talent you need to make your business work, not that you don't have. So, mm. And that's the thing that's quite empowering when you realise that anybody can be an entrepreneur if you apply yourself. It can definitely be taught 100%. Okay, yeah. No, I, I do agree. I think it's um, looking at, at Jeremy 15 years ago when I started out to Jeremy today. Now I'm a completely different person, um, you know, running my own businesses for 15 years. It's, um, it's taught me a lot and a lot of skills which I didn't, I wasn't born with or I didn't feel that I'd naturally grown up with. I've, I've learned, so I completely agree. And um, so you, so I'd love to talk about your, your busy, busy, biggest success because one of the reasons that I was most excited for you to come on was you to me, my perception of you is someone who has been very successful and has made it, air quotes. And so talk to me about your your career, your main business, the, the thing that made you, air quotes, successful. That was a, a design agency. That's right, yeah. called, called Fluid, which Fluid. I started in Hong Kong. Okay. And um, yeah, I mean, I do think... And I know you've discussed this previously with other guests, but I believe success is defined by the person. And so, but I did define myself as um, successful. I, I wanted to build something. Um, I wanted to enjoy my day to day. That That is how I personally define success. But even now, it, it, I, do I enjoy what I do every day? Am I doing what I want to do every day? Not every day. I'm not happy every day. No one's happy every day. That's just a lie. You can't have happiness every day, but you can have a sense of purpose mm. and a sense of freedom and a sense of discovery on your timeline. So yeah. I would say for me, it's about buying time, not selling time. And so, but, you know, success for me, the journey was, was an interesting one because I was really just focused on enjoying my day to day. And the moment I wasn't enjoying my day to day in any of my previous businesses, including the one that I recently sold to PwC, I enjoyed it right up until the moment I sold it. Mm. And so actually, I think that's why I sold it for a lot of money because in part, I didn't need to sell it. I wasn't building it to sell it like a lot of people do. I think that's where people go wrong because then they get almost annoyed that it's not sold or annoyed mm. they haven't made money. Mm. It took me 15 years to make my uh, my company, my agency fluid 
be worth uh, purchasing by PwC. 15 yeah. years. Yeah. And so, you know, persistence is a key to being lucky in life. And I felt that was part of, you know, who I was, was I wanted to enjoy what I did every day. And while running that company, there was a moment I didn't enjoy running it anymore. So I brought someone else in to run it. Right. And actually, this was where I learned that the harder you work, the luckier you get. It's not true. Okay. That's a lie. Right, okay. It's got nothing to do with hard work. Mm. In fact, I brought someone else in to run it. They did a better job than me. We yeah. made more money when I wasn't running it every day. Yeah. In part because at that point, I'd run it for 11 years yeah. myself. And yeah. it was time for fresh blood. Mm -hmm. It was time for someone else to come in and see it as it was, a big company. I was still treating it like it was my personal you know, piggy bank, my personal uh, infrastructure. And I was using my infrastructure for all sorts of personal projects because I owned it and I could. Mm -hmm. And so when someone else came in and ran it, they took it more seriously, maybe in a way. And so, yeah, for me, um, I think success is having also the ability to keep learning what success is, keep redefining it for yourself mm. and having the freedom to do that. Mm. Yeah, I I really, re I really relate to what you said around, um, you know, you bought someone else in. That was my plan just before my business closed. Did you, when you started out at the beginning, when you created Fluid, what was your what was your what was your goal? What what was your intention? Did you have mm. an intention when mm. you started out? Mm. I guess part of it was I, I'm always personally driven by talent that I find. That's why I like being an angel investor. I can mm -hmm. spot talent. They need a little bit of help, maybe a little bit of capital, and they can do amazing things. And so I I think with Fluid, I actually take all the credit for building the company and all the press, all the news is about how Simon Scribd built this company up and sold it. Reality is I had a partner in that business called Helen Griffiths. Yeah. And without her, I wouldn't have been successful mm -hmm. because it might not have even existed without, it wouldn't have existed without her because she was a talent. I was just the salesperson, the marketing right. person for a glossier way of putting it. Yeah. I, I spotted Helen and her ability to create something amazing from nothing, branding, imagery, to make a business look incredible from day one. And she was undercharging and she wasn't valuing what she was doing. She just loved to do it. Mm -hmm. So I valued it and I helped bring value to the equation. And she didn't like dealing with clients. She just wanted to do the work. So we actually forged an alliance, um, which by the way is a meme on TikTok. So would you like to form an alliance with me? <laughs> is it? Yes, that's uh. a meme. But anyway, um, so we forged an alliance <laughs> yeah. together. And, um, and yeah, I mean, for me, one of the reasons that business from day one, we never had a big business plan. We never had this elaborate take over the world strategy. Helen liked doing design and I like marketing a talented person like Helen. Yeah. And then Helen knew other talented people like her and brought them in. And I loved helping more of those talented people. And next thing you know, we've got hundreds of people working for us and we've got this agency. And in part, it was because each day was, was fun. Mm -hmm. It was really exciting. Mm. And we were, in a way, also fighting the system because the big companies out there like Ogilvy and WPP, they were always coming in with their big budgets and, and big grand plans. And, and we would win quite often because we came in with a bit more of a guerrilla approach. Yeah. And we were fresh and yeah. different. We weren't agency people. Yeah. So we won. Yeah. Um, we, we ended up being the number one agency in Hong Kong. You know, mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, at the end of the day, it was, uh, I never really thought, how much money can I make this month? I always thought... How can I hire more talented people? How can I bring more talented people in to help us grow this thing? And now every time I ever made any money, we put it back into 
the business. I remember mm. getting paid half a million pounds from a Credit Suisse project that we did and literally buying Herman Miller chairs for everybody in the office and just being so excited that everyone suddenly had, you know, healthier backs. Yeah. And, when, and we had a really nice looking office because of that. It wasn't about putting that money in my pocket or going yeah. and buying property and getting a rent yield from it. Yeah. It was, you know, about like, how can we make this business better, stronger, more mm. fun, more exciting? Mm. Yeah, amazing. You... Um, you, but did you ever, did you ever have a desire as a, as in your younger years, did you ever want to be wealthy, have lots of money? Um, it's an interesting question. And I guess I have to send my mind back to when I was younger. I thought my parents were rich mm-hmm. because again, it's ecosystem, isn't it? We, we had one of the biggest houses in in the area. We, my parents did property development and my father had a small business. My mother had a small business. And, you know, we used to, in the summer, ride around on quad bikes and um, we didn't really want for anything that I can think of. And so, um, but we weren't that rich. But I thought we were. We had a swimming pool, which is a big big thing when you're a kid right mm. so you know we um we had we had what i thought was you know a lot of wealth but i again like a kid you don't know that you're wealthy you just until i reflect back now i look back and say well i was quite lucky i had a swimming pool we were quite lucky we had you know nice cars and but i, I never really personally really cared about that until i got to about 13 and 14 where i wanted to wear nice clothes and of course that cost money and i started appreciating things like cars and so I don't think I wanted money. I wanted to experience things. I want to experience having a nice car. I wanted to experience wearing nice clothes. And, mm. and that made me feel different mm. wearing, you know, nice clothes. But but I never really thought about it in the money terms. I always thought about it in the experience terms. Even now, that's how I feel about things. Like, I'll spend my money on experiences, mm. not on things. That's a very interesting point because... I com- I completely get where you know me growing up as a as a child would want nicer things mm. right I grew up in a I grew up, I didn't grow up in great poverty I didn't grow up in great wealth I grew up I had a very comfortable upbringing my parents are still together yeah I still speak you know on all that on all that levels you know but I always wanted more I wanted nicer things and you know you're influenced by your peers your your friends and all that sort of stuff and it's only recently that I've when I closed my business and I was like, I've readjusted my perspective on life and went, what is it? And I completely agree, experience. I'd much rather, you know, spend money on experience. I want a nicer car because I love driving and I want want a nicer experience. But to have a nice car Mm. as a status symbol for me doesn't doesn't really, um, doesn't, doesn't apply. And so that's why I asked that question is because for someone like yourself that has, as I, as I said, made it and been successful financially, I'm just interested to know, is that has it always been that way? And you mentioned something else when you talked about Fluid, and I'd like to understand a little bit more about building that business. You said, you know, and the next thing we knew, we had an agency or we had lots of people working for us. And I've noticed this with in conversation with people who've who've been successful and, and grown a, a business is that that you mention that and sort of say oh yeah next thing we do. there's obviously a lot of hard work you you worked incredibly hard to get your business to where it was am i right you know how yes the, yeah. but i i also think i had a lot of luck okay i think luck is just not put into the equation enough because it and if mm. i say i made 
tens of millions because I was lucky. It's almost like taking away my power, isn't it? I'm not going to be Gary V if I if I tell you everyone's oh he was just lucky, like winning the lottery. Yeah. But you know, let's face it. I think I won the lottery. Okay. In many respects, I could have easily. There was a couple of moments. Um, like, for example, when PwC w- was trying to buy my business, they were also doing a big deal in China. If that had fallen through, then they wouldn't have bought my business. And right. then maybe I would have been uh, caught out because Hong Kong had some difficult times in the last few years. Mm. And so maybe I wouldn't be sitting here successful today. I'd be here broke. And literally because some deal in China didn't work out, nothing to do with me. Mm. So, um, But it did work out. Mm. So I can sit here almost arrogantly saying, yep, I've made it. But I, I'm, I'm humble because I realise how uh, close it is between success and failure. We, mm. We're one deal away from success most of the time. Um, and we're also one deal away from failure most of the time. Mm. And so I, I look at my own failures, and I've had many. Often it's because I had a deal that went wrong or, or I did something um, that didn't 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 pan out, mm-hmm. and so um, and 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 I think one interesting thing about failure because I know you know it's a big part of, of of what you want to get into in this podcast. But I've had a lot of failure. And one of the things I think I reflect on when we were just talking about my parents is that my parents were successful in my eyes, and I review back. I think they were quite comfortable, but. Uh, my father's business and my mother's business completely collapsed in the 90s right. due to property and debt. Yeah. So they built their whole success on debt. Mm-hmm. And this is why I'm quite anti-debt today, which makes me unpopular in some circles because people say, oh, there's good debt. I know there's good debt. I'm not an idiot. I understand the concept of good debt. It still kills people. Mm-hmm. Right? The stress of managing good debt mm-hmm. kills people mm-hmm. and actually can also take them away from what they're meant to be doing because suddenly they've got thousands of properties, for example, they're managing, fixing people's fences and dishwashers instead of solving some of the world's most important problems mm-hmm. because they leverage good debt. Mm-hmm. So I think debt in general is quite bad and that's what killed my dad. My dad got right. so stressed he had a heart attack. Really? And so right. I, I – and he did another thing that I, you know, I, I review and I thank him now for giving me this knowledge about failure is that he, he didn't really hire people to help him. He didn't see – he saw that as a cost that he didn't want to invest in mm-hmm. and that, that stopped his growth and caused all the stress to fall on him. Yeah. And so um, it probably made him individually um, more profitable. But I think ultimately it didn't lead to a healthier, happier life. It, it yeah. led to more stress. And ironically, people think hiring people, well, that's stress. Actually, not if you hire correctly. You can scale, you can delegate, you can have a breather from your business and come back to it and enjoy it again. There's lots of things that you can do if you if you take on that chance of failure by hiring people. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's and it, I'm kind of making the connection. You you know, you talk about helping people solving problems in the world versus create you know what i would deem to be aggressive wealth creation which people are chasing the money they're they're in jobs uh, sorry they're running businesses they're doing stuff that is stressing them out um and potentially killing them to 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 chase this idea of having money equals happiness or Mm. whatever it looks like and uh, do you do you agree with that? I mean, I do agree with that, and it's something that I'm kind of shocked about, particularly in the UK. Since mm. I've been back in the UK now four years, mm. so I left in my twenties. I've come back and now, and um, 
it, it's shocking to me how everything is built on debt. Everything is about chasing the money. And I notice it in people's 30s and 40s where they come to me with a dream of doing a business and they can't because they've got a mortgage and a house they're locked into and debt and cars and stuff that doesn't really matter because mm. they thought that was going to bring them happiness mm. only to realise that they're clocking in, clocking out every day in their law job or in their banking job and they hate it. And so I think, yeah, I think there's a real danger that we've kind of got consumed by what we own instead of what we do. And I think that sometimes what we do ends up being what we own and what we own owns us. Yeah. And so that's that's the problem. Yeah. I know again, I don't want to pick on any one particular sector, but I do see a lot of people in property that have hundreds of properties and they are the most miserable people you ever meet. Yeah. Because they actually aren't doing anything. It's not real entrepreneurship. That's mm. not really in, inventing. Buying a house, doing it up and renting it out, okay. Yeah. What's 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 this? It's, it might be exciting the first ten times, yeah. But after that, it's not really entrepreneurship. It's wealth creation, which mm -hmm. is fine, but that does not lead to happiness. It's mm -hmm. cheesy. It's true. I can tell you, I've come out the other side. Having lots of money doesn't necessarily make you happy. Yeah, well, you have to be happy first. Money yeah. only makes you happy if you're already happy. Yeah. No, I I completely agree, Simon. I completely agree with you in terms of this idea of you know happy. You know, money doesn't equal happiness. That's why I closed my business. Because I went, I'm not enjoying this anymore. Yeah. I'm I'm done. You and know. I commend you for it. Thank Actually, you. Actually, I think that's something. If your listeners pick up on this, it's like that's the hardest thing is to say no, right? The hardest mm. thing is to realise that hey, this job doesn't make me happy. This business doesn't make me happy. And life is too short. You yeah. can quit. Yeah. It's a good thing to quit sometimes. It's the hardest thing to do. Yeah. A lot of face lost and somehow it's a, an embarrassment. Some of the businesses I've closed in my in my career have been the hardest decisions I've ever made, but also the best decisions I've ever made. Yeah. You just got to let it go and yeah. there's something better out there for you. And I think that's an important message to carry through. I can yeah, I completely I completely agree. And it's um it was, you know, it was a hard decision to make, but it is the best decision for me. I feel like I gave up and lost a lot, but actually I didn't because what is the point of continuing on with a business that I'm not enjoying isn't fulfilling me, isn't making me happy. You know, there was potentially value lost in that business. But I'm I someone asked me, Did you you know, did you sell your business? I said, No, I closed it. Mm. <laughs> People were shocked, like mm. there's value tied up. I'm like, you can't put a price on my health and mm. well being. I I literally could not continue. Um, so talking about your failure, failures, you mentioned about failures. I'd love to understand from your own personal perspective, looking back over your career, what are, what are kind of the big the biggest failures or mistakes that you've made and lessons you've learned? Because I want this podcast to be um, you know, actionable advice as much as possible. So could you share some of the kind of things around that? It's interesting failure as a as a subject because I think it's misunderstood as a word. Mm -hmm. You know, like for example, it's described in startup world, it's good to fail or fail fast, which anybody's conscious mind doesn't sound logical. <laughs> Why would I want to fail fast? Yeah. How does that make any sense? So I yeah. will give one actionable point is it's it's a little bit of a misleading mindset to say fail fast. What we're really saying is if it's not working for you, don't continue. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and less time you waste on something that isn't working for you, the better, because time is the most valuable thing we've got. Yeah. Right. So, I think for myself, you know, an example would be um, I uh, had a uh, this I, I guess quite a few companies in these eighteen companies that I built, but I've had one particular business that sticks out. It's a business called Devashard. It's a comic mm -hmm. book business. Right. And loads of lessons in this failure that I can maybe share quickly now. Mm. The first is someone came to me with a really brilliant idea. 
They said, what if we created DC and Marvel comics, which blockbuster successful business. By the way, all, all, both of them almost went bust. Right. right. For anyone, yeah. you know, any young listeners, both those businesses are now billion dollar brands yeah. with Iron Man and so yeah. on. Yeah. They were almost bankrupt. Wow. Very close, completely out of business. Technically bankrupt. Mm-hmm. And so they made a came, comeback. And I think um, what, what was pitched to me was, why don't we create the DC and Marvel of Asia? What if Superman landed in China? What would that look like? It's right. kind of interesting because people are like, well, wouldn't he be evil? Why would he be evil? Let's just, you know, review yeah, your yeah, yeah. subconscious bias there, right? Or what if uh, Batman was born in India? Well, you know, would, would he really have wealth to help? You know, people's bias come out as interesting. Yeah, anyway, yeah, so we yeah. had this whole idea, what if we created these, you know, these con- kind of um, location-based changes to superhero characters? Anyway, we, we launched with this one product. Long story short, it was a financial failure. I lost mm-hmm. about a million dollars in that business. Um, And 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 the lessons are are as follows. First of all, make sure that you get involved in something that you truly believe in. Um, I was not a comic book fan when I was young. I, I, I got swept up by someone else's vision and I got swept up into leading it and it was someone else's vision. So, um, I'm, I'm writing a book on this, but you know, the th- I think there's three ways you should actually get involved in a business. One would be you're passionate about it and you're doing it. And then you bring everyone with you. Yeah. Or you meet someone who's passionate about something and you back them to do it and get out of their way. Yeah. Or a hybrid, you're passionate about something, someone else is passionate about something and you combine forces to make it work. Mm. And I think that some people get a bit confused. So this guy had an idea. He was a banker and he... Um, infused me with the idea i did see the potential of it based on the story i just mentioned i could see it being big yeah. and it, and i went ahead and did it and and so um, but it wasn't really my passion mm. and and second element was the person in question um, i trusted them right. and i do still today trust people i don't want to tell people don't trust i, I shook someone's hand and, and made a deal I still do that today. The lesson is not um, don't trust people. The The lesson is make sure that you don't overextend your commitment. So in other words, if someone promises, as this person did, to support in the financing of this comic book business and then doesn't, it won't matter. I can do it without them. Mm. So I think I didn't um, have enough of a buffer. I literally believed it was a joint venture and that we were going to do it together but then that person didn't follow through on the financial commitment by that point I already had and by that point I was then running something that I didn't necessarily have a total passion for in the same way that perhaps they did Um, and then they got distracted and frankly they ended up in prison themselves so I I, I didn't do enough due diligence on that partner and I got swept up in it all so I think again I've got a lawyer today who who works for me who says um, paper will always accept ink, right? You can I could have done a contract, mm-hmm. but frankly they still would have done what they did to me. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to do your due diligence on the people you're working for. But mm-hmm. I follow I think follow one of those three rules. You know, is it your passion product and you're bringing people with you? Therefore, it's under your own finances. Yeah. Or is it you're backing someone else? So what do they need financially and what's your commitment? Are you in or you're out? Or you have a collaboration? But in the collaboration model, make sure you're both involved in the business. Yeah. And both committed because he wasn't. He kind of rode off into the sunset doing his finance thing while he left me to run the business with mm-hmm. promises of financial support. So I committed to things beyond my pay grade at that time. Um, and uh, But the business failed. One last thing I'll say on failure that I learned that might be useful for your audience. So 
there was a moment with this business where uh, I got offered a deal to turn the comic book that we had created, which, by the way, I absolutely love. It's a failure business financially. Right. But I still hold the comic book. It's actually on my podcast behind me. But I'm not hiding my failure. And I think people shouldn't, as you are coming out and saying, this is my failure. I think it's brilliant. You yeah. have to show that. Yeah. So it's behind me. My biggest failure sits behind me in all my all my broadcast stuff. But I think that the lesson I learned was the um, there was a moment with that business where a big a player offered to turn the comic book into a movie. This right. would have turned my million loss into a hundred million profit at least. You think yeah. about the Star Wars merchandise and this sort mm. of thing would have been would have been absolutely huge. And so again, I believed them. And um, but then, long story short, it didn't happen. Yeah. And I am today so grateful it didn't happen. Mm. So so grateful mm. because that person that offered to turn it into a movie was Harvey Weinstein. Wow. So if I had done that deal with Harvey the Weinstein, I would be working with an awful human being. Yeah. I would probably be further supporting someone that's doing awful things in the world. Mm. So I'm glad I didn't make my yeah. success on wealth. I sleep much better at night doing it the way I've done it. Yeah. And not um, that deal at the time fell through. I was devastated. Of course, I had a failure. It was a big wound to lick. And I didn't feel good about it at the time. And today I'm so happy. For that mm. failure. So sometimes bad luck is good luck. Yeah. Didn't know it at the time. Yeah. But someone did me a big favor that day by somehow convincing Harvey not to do the deal. Yeah. And I'm so, so happy yeah. about it. Yeah. Sounds like you dodged a bullet there. And it's and it, there's a lot of a lot that I can I relate to and what you shared. You, we talk, you know, I also often talk to people about, you know, you've talked about due diligence. I'd just like to understand a bit more about that. Because <clears throat> When you know, we're often told, particularly by lawyers, that when you start out, get contracts, get stuff written down. Which you know, it's if as long as you've got the resources to actually follow up, if that person that's what I mean, the pointless. I actually think contracts are not the answer, right? But due diligence is an interesting one, so I can only tell you how I do it, and, yeah. and it is a slightly flawed system, okay? But I, I it's worked for me, mm -hmm. so I always go into any relationship generally believing the best of people, mm -hmm. despite their reputation. Mm -hmm. I do do. I do ask. I think community is an interesting thing. You can ask what other people think, but yeah. they might have their own subconscious bias. Mm. And so I always go into relationships with almost like a clean slate. Let's see how this person treats me, treats the waiter that's serving us, mm -hmm. treats the, their partner in life. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and not that I'm going to judge. I'm judging it based on what I would see as a decent human being. And it's sometimes just that kind of eyes wide open. The second thing I do is I often start working with someone um, quite quickly. Yeah, and then then you see work, people in work don't hide that much. So people generally in a relationship, I've seen it. They can hide that they're vicious until they get divorced. Mm -hmm. I've seen that mm -hmm. play out with my mm -hmm. my brother's lives mm -hmm. until they get divorced. They don't really see the other side of their partner. Mm -hmm. But I in business, I do see that people. For example, you get into a conversation. And I had this once with Helen where um, someone hadn't invoiced us. Mm -hmm. Right. So I said to Helen, oh, they haven't invoiced us. It was quite a lot of money. And Helen instantly said, we must tell them they've made a mistake on their accounts. She didn't say, well, if they don't invoice us, well, that's like extra profit for us, isn't it? Oh, that's their, yeah. that's their problem, isn't yeah. it? And in business, people generally can't help themselves. There's always that instinct. So I knew in that moment when Helen said that to me, this is an amazing individual. I'm mm -hmm. glad I'm in business with this individual. Yeah. And so... No, it brought me great joy to then ring up the person and say, hey, you haven't invoiced us. And what's really interesting when we did that, later on, we needed their help on cash flow. In 2003, SARS hit Hong Kong. 
and it was a big problem. It was equivalent yeah. to coronavirus today, yeah. and we had a cash flow problem yeah. because suddenly Credit Suisse couldn't pay us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone was back. You know, there was a, there was a big problem, but they then gave us some support and credit because of that good moment, we, the mm. karma. Right, yeah. and that's what a lot of people that do bad things never experience and never realise yeah. what well, the things they've missed out on because they've done bad things. Anyway, back to the learnings. I think the key is you've got to go through a due diligence process, and sometimes that means dating people. You know, it's like a dating <laughs> process. Right? I'm la- I'm laughing because as you were talking, I was thinking uh, I'm in a relationship now. But when I was dating, if the person I was with didn't like acknowledge or or ask the waiter how or you know treat the waiter well, yes. then that was a huge sign for me. Yeah, I remember going on a date with someone and they they were they were really rude to the waiter. I was like mm. straight away, not at all. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry. Yeah. No, and I think I think it sounds like common sense, but we don't do it enough. Yeah. We, we sometimes do the other thing, which I think is a mistake, which is listen to other people's opinions mm. so um you know I, I, i've got somebody in my mind when i'm thinking about this there's someone that was i was told was really awful and then i met them and got to know them and i think that it's just they maybe had one bad experience with that individual or there was some you know misunderstanding i don't think you can judge people by other people's opinions which a lot of people that's how people do due diligence right mm. and I, I think there's something in it to a certain yeah. extent i think yeah. there is definitely people i respect who have measured opinions I, I definitely listen, but I wouldn't necessarily, even if it was someone I respected, totally buy into their version of that person. Mm. I would give my own, uh, uh, my own, my own views. I would, I'd let them, I'd interact with them. So I yeah. actually find just sometimes starting something with someone, and then seeing where it goes is is a pretty, pretty. Some would say dangerous strategy, but it's worked for me because because quite quickly. You know, in interviews, for example, I know Goldman Sachs interview people nine times. That's another way to go. Instead of working with them for for nine weeks, they do nine interviews. Mm. I think that's a huge waste of that person's time, huge mm. amount of stress you put on that person, mm. permanently having to reintroduce themselves and repitch themselves and no, never knowing if they're getting a job or not. I think it's a very selfish process, mm. but I can understand why they do it. I prefer to work with someone for nine weeks and we both got something out of it at the end of the process. Mm. Um, this just happened to me. I just brought someone on. We worked together for a long six months and now they're doing something else but I feel like I've actually made a friend there and a relationship mm. there and that was a good investment as opposed to making them interview with me nine times before yeah. I decide whether or not I'm going to give them a job so I think just kind of try it with people but the contract stuff the one thing I would say on the contract stuff that is worth noting I had a partner in a business and um, we, we we wrote down like an email what, what the agreement was and then um, and then we got on with the business and we spent two years working together absolutely brilliant love working with him I like to think he liked working with me we did really really well the business did really really well and then one day we sat down and had a conversation and he said to me Simon you remember the deal we had where I'm, I'm supposed to get this I'm supposed to get that I'm like yeah of course yeah yeah we both memorised the deal differently right right and so it was fascinating because I said this is how I remember the deal and he said, this is how I remember the deal. And we had to go back two years and dig out that email. Thank God for Gmail because it saved him. And and we brought it up and we basically both went, oh, memories trick people sometimes. Mm. We never had an argument about it. After we read that email, we're like, oh, that's how the deal is. Okay, that's right. We both remember now. We both had slightly different versions of it. But in writing deal, stopped any argument. That was the end of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot that bit. You're right. And so, um, so, so it completely stopped us having any argument and everything was fine. Yeah. So there's something in, I don't think necessarily legal paperwork, because frankly, if you're 
a scoundrel, you'll find a way of pushing through. And what you're going to do, sue a scoundrel, you'll probably lose, right? Yeah. So there's, there's, yeah. there's nothing to chase. There's nothing to do. Move on. Yeah. And so, so a legal contract really only really would perhaps give you the power to go and sue people, which is more money down the drain in my mind. So better to just let it go uh, and, and work off paperwork only as a memorization tool. Yeah. Yeah, I can I, I completely agree. Um, the if you haven't got the resources to to back up and follow through with a contract, it's not worth the paper it's written on. And the agreements, the writing it down. And I found out this morning I've got a three grand tax bill completely forgot. I don't even know about. I got a reminder. So I replied to my accountant going, reminder, I don't even know about this. I don't. I haven't received a feedback from them yet, but I'm 99% sure that I didn't receive anything. But... I may have been sent an email and I may have forgotten. So it's having the humility to be able to go, oh, actually, no, I got that wrong. I didn't remember because our memories do not serve us very well. As chances are, I have been told about it. I've just completely forgotten. And then going back to in terms of employing people and bringing people in, and I've interviewed people. I, I, I The last sales role I interviewed for in my business before I closed, we interviewed, I spent weeks i think two months interviewing for people interviewed 15 people went through three rounds and it didn't work out so i think it's accepting that no matter how much you 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 know you you go through that process that person still may not work out so i like that approach of you know give it a go see how it works out and uh and and having that ability to be able to say to someone look let's test it out for six nine weeks so that we can exit out of it easily. Because I, I speak to a lot of, I don't know if you agree with this, but I speak to a lot of, and I know it for myself in my early days of my business, I really struggled. And I know there's some people that I have, I'm friends with who run their own business that struggle with this as well, of employing people you like and then really struggling to let them go when it's not working out. Is that something that you've experienced or you definitely, see? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. There is a thing in business called the uh, six and seven rule. Do you know it? So basically, know. the overall principle is when when you hire a one and two, you know they're rubbish <laughs> and they know they're not right for the job as well. It's obvious for both sides and it's easy. It's not working out. You're not happy here. It's not working. It's easy. Both sides. Thank God. You know, everyone's happy. And then you have the other side, which is nines and tens. And these and I have uh, I have a 10 in my business right now. She's amazing. You know, like she, I just would, I'd like never want to lose her in the business. She's just, she just cares. She's just so good. Shout out to Talia if she's listening. I, I, you know, and, and she's, she's a 10. Um, and I know she loves the job and I love working with her and it's brilliant. But the six and seven, this is the problem. This is often what happens. And I had this in my career many, many times is that, you know, this person's got potential and you know that they could be a 10, but they're not. And so you end up spending months, almost all your time, not helping the nines and tens, um, but helping the six and sevens. And you get distracted and then you get tired and then th their energy rubs off on you. And the thing I've, I I've learned is to just accept that that person, it's not going to work. And it is hard because they're almost good and they're almost happy. And then when you speak to people who are six and sevens, they feel the same. I, I almost love this job, it's, it's almost right. Something not quite right. Um, but they won't necessarily say it unless you do because they haven't found another job because they're a six and seven. So it's, um, and, and I'm six and sevens, by the way, just to highlight, and I don't want to be, be a bit careful with this. So quite often they're people that are ready, readily available. 
So that's why now I go after people that I want to work with me as opposed to let people come to me. You know, if I see someone that's good, I was in a restaurant the other day, the waiter was really good. You know, like you're like, hey, this person's got energy. You know, like I go after the people that are great, go after the nines and tens. And the problem, if you have too many six and sevens in your business, the nines and tens leave. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I've actually, I've actually, um, sounds dodgy, but chased people in in restaurants. I remember going to an event and running after this this uh, this woman and saying like, "Here's my card. If you ever want a job, when I had when I had my bakery and I had a retail shop, because she was so fantastic." It's an interesting. I've never I've never thought of it like that in terms of six and sevens. And I know for myself in my business has been, I've kept people on too long. And it's actually caused, it could have caused my business to fail. And I see it happening on a day-to-day basis of people keeping people on because they don't want to have that difficult conversation. They think it will suddenly change. Yep. Or the other side, actually, is um, is keeping people on when, you know, particularly with businesses like mine, which was a food manufacturing business, which was seasonal, trying to keep really good people on when the business just cannot support it. Mm. And then you end up with a real cash flow problem. Mm. Good point. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the whole, I still struggle with, even I've done, I've hired thousands of people and I've probably fired hundreds of people too hundreds of people have quit on me too you know it 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 is a real emotional thing I remember the first person that was ever like my right hand person um, my name was Christy and she quit I cried like a baby because I was so invested and I just couldn't understand why she was quitting it was just that she wanted to go to New Zealand she wanted to do other things you know like but to me I was so vested in that person I'd put so much training and energy and love into that person and then you know it's like the grief process I cried and then the pain of having to find someone else there's this whole process that you go through in your mind you know humans are one of the only we are the only species that have this magic power only species that can think ahead so it's amazing talent but it also stops us. So, for example, we think, well, if I let that person go, then I've got to go recruit someone. I've got to pay for that recruitment. I've got to interview and they've got to give notice. I'm not going to have someone come in for four or five months and it's going to be a lot of work for me to do it. So somehow we rationalize it's probably better just to keep that person there. That's the mistake we make. Yeah. And then we're using that power of seeing ahead for the wrong reasons. Yeah, well, I agree. And, and, and just even personal relationships. I was in a three and a half year relationship which should have actually in hindsight lasted six months but comfort you get into a comfort zone and I completely agree that idea of you think about all the work you've got to go through I've never in my career I don't believe from a, and I'm talking about people who are in a in a in a, in a um relatively important role within the business because I had a lot of people that were low skilled I've never had anyone leave that hasn't been in the long term a good decision because you have an opportunity to bring fresh blood in. Um, I don't know if that's true for you. I mean, there's, yeah, I don't think I've ever had that happen. Of course, I've had people leave and I've been disappointed, but it's given me an opportunity to bring in and, and some fresh blood. I think it's a really interesting point. I would say even people that have left my business in the past, my businesses, it's been a good thing. You know, I didn't want them to leave. They are nines and tens. I didn't yeah. want them to leave. Yeah. And I tried to keep them. Mm. Um, and they still left. Yeah. And so, but in the end, even Christy, who I cried when she left, left, 
it did actually, in the end, work out to be mm-hmm. a good thing because we needed someone else to come in. I didn't just need an assistant. I really needed a, a number two. And and so then I, when Christy left, I'm going to get a number two. And then that number two ended up taking a lot of the responsibility off me, not just helping me manage my day. Mm-hmm. And so the evolution was important, but we do get comfortable. And I think mm-hmm. humans were a bit like that, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Um, that's how people must have settled in freezing cold locations. I don't know how people stop here and say, this is a lovely place. <laughs> Let's stay here. It's freezing. It's snowing. Yep, let's build an ice igloo. We get comfortable. You're like, oh, yeah. I like the ice now. And I, well, why would you want the heat? Oh, no, thank you. You know, so we get comfortable, right? We do. And that's the great thing about humans was our ability to adapt. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, I do think we've become, particularly in the Western world, we've become too comfortable with being comfortable. Yeah. I, I know I avoid being uncomfortable like the plague. Yeah. It's just not something I enjoy at all. I can, I, sometimes I'm jealous of it, I'll have to say. Sometimes I'm jealous of people that can live in that space. But I, I also, I don't know many people that live in that space that haven't died inside a little bit. And I you mean, mean that in with that respect. comfort zone sort of like. Yeah, that, because yeah. they've kind of settled. Yeah. They've accepted that they're never going to see the world, for example, or they're not going to ever have a business of their own. And I think life's an experience and having, you know, I think everyone should start a business once just to see what it's like. It's an experience, right? It's all we've got really to, you know, experiences. So, so I, I guess, but I think a lot of people get, I know a few people I'm thinking of now, so I might get into trouble if they listen, but they're in my hometown and they have never left. And, and, and actually I go see them sometimes and I'm a little bit envious of the fact that they're still friends with the same people at school, but I also see that they haven't necessarily grown. They haven't, they almost judge me if I say, oh, Hong Kong's an amazing place. Well, why don't you go back there then? What, what are you doing here, mate? And you're kind of like, yeah, I know, you know, I don't say it anymore. Um, but they're missing out on some experience that I'm trying to share. And I'm also saying, hey, go live in Hong Kong for a year. What an amazing experience. And so you'll never regret it. You'll regret what you don't do in life. But if you don't know what you don't know, I guess you won't have regrets. But um, So there's something in that whole, like, be happy with what you've got, which I believe in, but equally go out there and strive for something better and and learn. Yeah, it's a balance, isn't it, at the end of the day, that – being grateful you know I've noticed that for myself particularly when I closed my business and going through this experience and I'm still going through it it was only three six months ago that I took the decision to close three months ago Uh, I've obviously had to go through the process so it's still very early stages and I've been on this journey and one of the things I've definitely noticed is this being grateful for what you've got but not using that as a stick to beat yourself up and go because you can we can sit here and I can look at my experience in life and go well there's so many more people that have it worse but if I lean too much into that I end up then feeling guilty and and that so it's that balance between being grateful for what you've got but also striving for more so talk to me about what you're up to now with the personal project because I I I know, I mean, I've been to Entrepreneur's House and seen it um, and such an exciting project. And the thing, I love what you're doing. So I'd love you to tell uh, my audience yeah, what, what that's about, how you're helping people. So it, it sounds, I guess, a bit like it's a philanthropy project, but I am running a for-profit platform. And the reason I'm running a for-profit platform, I'm actually trying to, pioneer a concept I call the zero-sum game, which is basically we make money to fund the purpose. So but the basic principle is, like I said earlier, I'm trying to really go back to that 15-year-old me. It turns out, though, the average person that really needs help is about 28. And they, um, you know, they've, they've, they've been told a certain thing in school that, you know, 
that they're meant to get a job. That's a safe way to live. So I think working for yourself is safer than working for someone else for lots of reasons. I actually think working for yourself, it is harder at the beginning because it's easier over time. Working for your, working for someone else is easier at the beginning. It gets harder over time. Why, why is that? Why do you think that is? I think because when you first start a job, you know, you literally, here's the salary. There's no, there's no go out and hunt. There, there, there's what you need to do. And away you go. But as, as human beings, you know, if we're just pressing a button all day to make sure the nuclear plant keeps going, um, it's not that exciting after a while. But then the boss says, well, you know, you've got to earn your stripes. This is how it works. This is the system you've got to fall into. And then you don't like your boss or you don't like the company or the company changes its mission. You have no control over any of these things. You are living in the matrix. You're living under, under somebody else's rules. Whereas working for yourself is at the beginning, no one's giving you any money. There's Unless you get angel investors, I guess, but you know, or, or investment. But generally, you know, you've got to you, you've got to go and hunt, and that's quite daunting. But over time, what happens, I think, is slowly you can build a crew around you that you respect. Um, I always hire people that I would actually work for. For example, I like that philosophy. You know, so you end up working with people that you 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 enjoy working with, and then as time goes on, you end up really, most cases, hopefully, doing something you love. And if you're not doing something you love, you can just change the business philosophy. You can change the name on the door. You can change what you sell and do, buy, build. You can do anything you want. And so that is amazing. And so that is not the freedom you have when you work for someone else. So, yeah, it's harder at the beginning because it's easier over time, whereas working for someone else is definitely easier at the beginning because it's harder over time, which is why quite often people in their 30s and 40s have midlife crisis. I'm, 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 my, my wife might disagree with this. I'm not having a midlife crisis because I, I, I'm, I'm actually just evolving what I'm doing as opposed to like reviewing, oh, why did I spend 20 years working for that bank? Yeah. And now I don't know who I am and all I can really do is trade all day. And so, you know, I've, I, I've made loads of money, but that's not making me happy. But you don't realize that until you've got it all in the bank, right? Mm. Yeah. Why, can I ask why, why your wife would think you're having a midlife crisis? Because I've just bought a Tesla. <laughs> Um, and I and I um, just bought a house in the country. Yeah, and um, I've got a crazy project that really is insane uh, as an idea, right? So, but she doesn't think that, uh, and I don't no. think I am. Maybe I am, but I think I think more like I'm 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 going uh, up a level. It's kind of how I see it. It's like a game. I think mm. life is actually just a video game, and and really I've just decided right. I'm going to play the next level now. I won the last game, and now I want to play again. But yeah. I'm just gonna. I'm a bit more armoured up this time, and I've got a few more guns, and I've got a few more, a few more bits of you know knowledge in the bank of how to play the coins game. Coins in the bank and resources. Yeah, no, I, and I, I've just slipped down a slippery stake to the back, to the bottom. <laughs> yeah, it's an inter. Yeah, it's, I think uh, Brené. I don't know if you ever listened to. Have you ever heard of Brené Brown? Of course. Yeah, I'm a big fan. So um, she, uh, she's. Uh, what does she call it? She calls it, I think, a midlife adjustment, right. something like that. Which it sounds is a much, about right. Much, much nicer way of um, of describing it. And I think I, I think I'm probably going through one myself. But there we but are. But it might be nothing. It's nothing to do with age. I think it's to do with process. So you know, you are grieving, right? You have to accept that you've spent 15 years making something, and and you know, um, it's it's a grief process. Frankly, by the way, I sold my company. I had a similar process. Because when I first sold it, there's a euphoria. And I bet you had it for a moment. Suddenly no payroll, yeah. no, no responsibility of motivating people, yeah. no, all those things. There is, a, there is a moment in the failure of, of happiness, right? Yeah, And absolutely. actually this, the feeling isn't dissimilar because I've had failure and I've had success. The feeling isn't that dissimilar when you have success. 
because I had this amazing company. If you go to Hong Kong and ask anybody about me, they'll tell you Simon Squibb built Fluid, Simon Squibb built Nest, built Meta. I'm known there for these things. And so when I sold it, it's almost like I lost my family in one point because I sold off the business and the people, right? That's part of it. I almost like lost my family again my second time in my life and and I'd also almost lost my identity because suddenly well, well who are you I, I'm Simon Squibb I used to own Fluid and Nest and Meta oh yeah oh okay you know but, but it's not this okay you don't what do you do now though what's you know what do you, well I, I know I just I just invest in companies and play golf you know oh, oh right then right you know you, you lose something and of course you lose that ability to kind of go into the office and be surrounded by energy and people and have almost like that was part of my identity for a long time so I grieved as well I, I, I went through initial like wow I've never seen so much money in my bank account to like I feel lonely this, I, this is this is not what I was expecting I know I thought I thought I'd be permanently happy at this point I don't have the responsibilities anymore and have the money in the bank why this is is this failure yeah, you were you were saying about that about this idea of, of talk more about that. What what? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's, there was a moment I think where I'm thinking, well, why did I sell it? Mm. You know, is this actually ironically because everyone's saying, "Well, it's amazing. Look how successful you are." Like you were saying at the beginning of the podcast, but but I suddenly felt like I I had no purpose. I I had money, but buying a house, a big house, which I did do, and living in it doesn't make you happy. You know, so now I've got a big house, right? Okay, uh, all right. Bought myself a Porsche. Get that out of the way. All right, that's done. Uh, go on some holidays. Okay, great. Don't get me wrong; these are all huge, hugely privileged things to have experienced and done, but they don't bring happiness. And so, um, but now I have it again. I would say with the Purposeful Project, and I feel excited about Entrepreneur House. This concept of letting people stay somewhere for free to help them start and grow a business, because that's a big bit of feedback I've got from people. They want to start a business, but they've got to pay rent. And, and they've got debts. So if we can remove all that from people's plate for a while and give them somewhere they can start a business, that that excites me. But again, I didn't have that myself at 15 years old. It was, you know, I was homeless. So I think that, um, that, 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 so I feel a sense of excitement again. But ironically, there was a period of time, maybe six months after I sold the business, where I had six months of being a bit lonely, you know, like yeah. just thinking, what am I here to do? You know, a bit lost. Yeah. Yeah, and it's such fascinating, you know, your view and what how you've 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 kind of linked this overlap between or the similarity rather between success and failure in that process. Because well, how you described it is exactly for me loss of identity. I was known as the cupcake man in Brighton and Hove, where I grew, you know where I live. Uh, I was the guy who owned the bakery and the food manufacturing business, which everyone loved because I made cakes all day. And now that's all gone away. And uh, I guess the difference is you get to grieve in your Tesla and I get to grieve in my Ford Focus. <laughs> you know, but I... But you can come and sit in my Tesla. I'd love to. I yeah. really would. And I, I think, be... by the way, you don't need to own a boat. You just need to know someone that owns a boat. That's another thing I've kind of realised. You don't, you know, you can get joy uh, by hanging out with people. You know, it's not really about sitting in a nice car of I mean course. it's that old line isn't it is it better to cry in a Ferrari than laugh on a bike what a load of bullshit yeah. of course it's better to laugh on a bike I just can't believe anyone in pedals that it's <laughs> good to cry in a Ferrari of course it's not I'm, be I, I'm of course joking and it's that it's um uh, you know, I, I do know, but it's unlearning that thing you've learnt growing up, which is money equal money in, and air quotes success equals happiness. But actually, I know I've got 
my I'm grateful. I've got my parents. They're still together. They're still alive. They're, they live 15 minutes from me. I've got a partner who I love dearly. I've got two dogs. I live in in the middle of Brighton and Hove in a gorgeous flat but right by the sea. I'm healthy. I'm going on holiday next week to San Francisco. You know, I've, You're just trying to make the listeners jealous now, are you? Is well, this, is this, I, is this the, um, the new mate, theme for I the podcast? <laughs> Let me tell you what I've got. Well, I'd like to hear from your listeners. What do you have going on? Tell us in the comments down below, folks. But, you know, so for me, but that but that is not where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I spent, this came up in a conversation yesterday. I was I did a clubhouse room, actually. And, um, you know, I, I left a career in digital marketing. I was very successful. I was the youngest account director in, our, in, the, in the building at the time. I was climbing up very, very quickly. I was very good at what I did. Um, and that would have been something that would have been very difficult for me to actually say out loud years ago because of, you know, self-esteem issues and imposter syndrome, whatever you want to call it. And, and I, and I left that career and I started my own business. And so I do question, well, where could I be now? What would my life be like had I have continued? But the one thing I have now, even though I don't, I'm not swimming in cash is freedom, freedom to choose. Um, and that, for me, you can't put a price on. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it's it, and it's not over yet. No. You've got plen- just... plenty of runway. Exactly. And so I think that's the thing a lot of people don't realise. I mean, again, I think we can have four or five careers in a lifetime. We can have at least 20 failures and still make it. So, you know, we've, we're going to live, in theory, to 76 if you're in the UK, 79 if you're in Hong Kong. You know, like, we're going to live a long time, in theory. So there's no reason to say today is the end story. Frankly, I'm successful today. Might be 10 years from now that I'll be getting a lift in your Tesla. You know, and I'll be driving around in in whatever. You know, like, it, it, like life's like that. That's why I think it's also important to stay humble. And so I'm always... I was joking earlier about wanting to be Gary V. I think it's, um, you know, you've got to, I think you've got to stay humble in this journey and not suddenly think, well, I'm successful and you're not. That's when people really come unstuck, I think. I completely agree. I wrote an article and I said exactly that same thing. This, my idea is this this constant push for success and this idealization of success and failure being vilified. It sets us up for a great fall when we, when and if we do, because as you say, you make a really good point. Um, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, there's so much external forces in our world. Look what happened with COVID. My business was flying just before COVID. I was, I was actually working my way out of the business for someone else to run it, and then COVID came along. Mm-hmm. External forces Back changed. To my everything. point about yeah. luck. Yeah, you know. So yeah. I don't think there is no difference between us. You know, mm-hmm. like it's just a couple of things. And I think sometimes that might help people's mental health when they see it that way. As opposed mm-hmm. to seeing yourself maybe as a victim or something you did wrong. It's just part of life. Mm-hmm. And so I'm making some big bets now. Could be that I get unlucky and I'm broke. Well, and I, I, and that, that won't, I don't think that will make me any less successful, I would, no. I'd like to think. Of course, those that are only with only want to hang out with me because I'm rich, then maybe good riddance to them if they don't want to hang out with me when I'm not. Mm. And so, you know, it, it, it's just a process. And so I, I have noticed, by the way, another thing that might be useful for your listeners, that successful people generally keep betting it again and again. Mm. Even when you've made it, you still keep betting because that's actually, if you just hoard it, you, you don't innovate. This is what happened mm. to Kodak. They invented the digital camera and buried it. Yeah. 
right? They don't want, yeah. so they, they don't innovate because they're scared to lose what they've got. Yeah. And then they die as a business. I think yeah. that's true with humans too. If you hold on to what you've got too tight, and I almost fell into that trap, like financial advisors telling me to buy property and rent it. I'll never have to work again a day in my life. Well, I like working. Why is that a good pitch? Mm. Well, yeah, but you just buy a house and rent it out. That's it. Don't have to, passive income. Passive sounds boring to me. I, I want to do stuff, mm. you know. But if I'd done that, financially, maybe I'd never need to work again in my life. But wow, I'd just be staring at the bank balance and hoping that the tenants don't not pay me. Mm. You know, yeah. that, doesn't, that doesn't sound like a life. No, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fully on board with you. You know, I always said if I ever became financially rich, then I would always work. I would always do something, mostly giving back and helping people like what you're doing now. But it's, it's. I think if we don't have purpose in life, then we die off slowly. So I think, you know, I've, I've, I've loved this conversation, Simon. Um, thank you so much for your generosity of your time coming to meet me to record this conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. Um, I'd love... Uh, how do how do the people who haven't already seen you online and found you? How can we connect with you? So I trademark my own name, Simon Squibb. Little tip for everybody. Yeah. And then I could go and claim all my social media handles at Simon Squibb. Some people had squatted them, taken them. So I trademark my own name, and then I'm able to claim. So I'm on every single social media at Simon Squibb. And uh, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok. I've got a website, of course, SimonSquibb.com. You can just type Simon Squibb in search engines, and you'll find me. And you'll soon get annoyed by all my content. If you follow all channels, not at you'll all. Be soon. No, I, lo- I love your content. <laughs> I love your content, Simon. I love what you yeah, do. Thank you for saying that. No, absolutely. I also love your name. You've got one of the coolest names uh, on the planet. Again, luck, so. pure luck. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you. As I said before, thank you so much for your time, your generosity. It's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for listening in today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. This has been How Not to Run a Business with your host, me, Jeremy Jacobs. If you like this conversation and you want to hear more, then make sure you follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And whilst you're there, if you want to leave me a review, I would really appreciate it. If you'd like to connect with me online, you can do so on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And my profile name is Jeremy Jacobs UK. Or you can check out my website, which is jeremyjacobs.co.uk. So once again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep on trying, keep on failing, keep on succeeding.